I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast that looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and I don't do this show by myself. This week, I have a returning co-host, the one, the only. He's been gone for so long, but he's finally back. Nick, share mooksness. Nick, hello. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Nick, it's been it's been a few weeks since you've been on the show. Uh, how how are you? I am doing well. Um, that's great. Thanks I'm, for being here. No, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm alive. There, that's the update. Well, great. That's that's what we need. We need you to be alive. We need you to be here, and we also need a guest who we have with us this week. And it is a, a great guest. I'm very excited to have him here. It is Jaron. Jaron, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. And the crowd goes mild. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we, should, like, we should insert like a crazy crowd sound for that one. No. You know, like cricket, crickets for mine and then just like a cheering football stadium or whatever for Jaron. Of course, I'm not going to do I'm not. I just have to write something down real quick. Nobody <laughs> worry about this. Uh, Jaron, Thank you for being here. And if, if people are not uh, familiar with you, just give us the overview, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Uh, hi, my name is Jaron Dooling. I'm an improviser from Tampa, Florida. Uh, I perform as part of a team called Daytime Delusions, and I record a podcast with one of my teammates called Just Kiss Already, where we look at rom-com content and evaluate it. And is that show out anywhere right now, or...? Oh, it'll be releasing very soon, I think, in February of 2021. All right. Oh, perfect. Just in time for Valentine's Day. Oh, you're right. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> there you go. I'll, I'll, I will say that Just Kiss Already is actually a really a, good name. It's a really podcast. good name. Yeah, I really like that. Thank you. A very funny story about the name was uh, my co-host came up to me with several different options and I was like, I think I like Just Kiss already the best. And she was like, great, because I already made a Twitter account, a <laughs> Gmail account under that name. You never had a choice. It's an illusion. Like I, I like I like the idea that you would have picked a different name. And then uh, just before release, she's like, you know, but what if we what if we just called it Just Kiss already? <laughs> it was more of a test to see if I was worthy of being a co-host, uh. if I chose the correct title for the show. Well, that's nice she gave you some options. I think I just told Nick, uh, here's the name of the show. You're on it. We're doing this. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't make a lot of choices in my life, I think. Well, uh, a choice you didn't make was this week's topic because it was brought to us by Jaron. Jaron brought us Ed, Ed, and Eddie. This 2000s animated kids show follows the exploits of the Eds. That is Ed, Ed, or Double D, and Eddie, who live in a cul-de-sac in suburbia. Under the leadership of Eddie, the trio often engage in money-making schemes to purchase the ever-tempting jawbreakers. I don't know why I got so dramatic with the word jawbreakers. They're not a major plot point or anything. Uh, but they were very important to them. And speaking of importance, the whole point of this show is stuff that we loved when we were younger was important to us back then. So now we're going to share our personal histories with it. I'm going to turn it over to Jaron since you brought this show here. 
Why did you choose Ed, Ed, and Eddie? What is the relationship you have with that? So I have a, a great personal connection to this show. When I was seven, my grandparents would pick me up from school and drive me over to their neighborhood, which was a cul-de-sac. <laughs> and they were great friends with their neighbors who had two boys who were about my age. And the three of us would just sort of run around the cul-de-sac, like playing with firecrackers or messing around in their treehouse. And when we would go inside, we would watch Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and it was sort of continuing these adventures. And we would take notes and be like, okay, well, we got to scam the other <laughs> neighborhood kids. And we had no clue what a scam was, just that we wanted to make money and that it was going to be fun. And so it was one of the first shows that I remember actively like looking forward to in the infancy of DVR. I would ask my grandparents to record it if I was going to miss an episode playing outside. Oh, yeah. I remember those days of having to record episodes of even further back than that, setting up the VCR that has to record at just the right time. And of course, you always run the risk of it like cutting off a few minutes towards the beginning or the end. Uh, good times. Do you remember maybe like, uh, like, was it just a show that you stopped watching just because time went on and it just kind of faded into the rear view mirror? It was a situation where I, I was very much, I would watch Cartoon Network or Boomerang a lot, but I didn't have cable at my own home. So once I left uh, second or third grade and I stopped going from school to my grandparents' house, I didn't have that access to it anymore. And I eventually, I, I only ever thought about it again when they released the movie. And that sort of reignited me going back and being like, oh, whoa, what was this show about? It was a movie? Yeah, yeah, oh, feature length movie. That was how the how how it ended. It was the movie. Well, we we can tell that Nick wasn't a true fan. But Nick, did you have any sort of history with Ed, Ed and Eddie? Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, um, I, I was watching so many cartoons, you know, um, and Ed, Ed and Eddie, like a lot of that, the, the same block of Cartoon Network, if I recall, like. Um, Kurt Cowardly Dog, Johnny Bravo, mm -hmm. Dexter's Laboratory. I think those were all kind of around the same time, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of like in that pile of cartoons, and I remember in, enjoying it. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's something that's like, I never forgot it, but it also never stuck with me, if that makes sense. I get that. It was just, it was a show you watched because it was on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched Ed and Eddie a lot. I really loved Ed, Ed and Eddie when it was on. I like remember always catching episodes. I knew when it was on, it was something that I just always loved immensely. And I for just eventually stopped watching. We've talked with other properties on here, I think like Power Rangers and um, Dragon Ball Z. We just talked about, it was kind of in that age range where... Uh, I was starting to enter high school, and when you're in high school, you're not really watching kids' cartoons anymore. So I watched the show, you know, through middle school and then got into high school, and my senses and tastes changed a bit, and I don't remember the show ever ending. I never watched the movie. I want to now. I'm just very curious about what a, an Ed and Eddie movie would be, but that's not on HBO Max, so I can't right now. <laughs> And uh, I'll just have to deal with that later, I guess. But that is our histories with Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Nick, can you tell us the world's history with Ed, Ed, and Eddie? 
I sure can. Uh, Danny Antonucci, who was known for his more edgy and adult animations, took a dare to create a kid's show. In 1996, he designed three young characters he was rather pleased with and named them Ed, Ed, and Eddie. The boys were based on his own sons, and many of the other characters were based on kids he knew growing up. Growing up, Rolf, the immigrant kid, is based on Antonucci and his cousin who grew up in a first-generation immigrant household. After developing the show, he faxed the one-page concept sheet to both Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Both were enthusiastic. Cartoon Network responded in just 20 minutes, but both wanted creative control, which Antonucci refused. After Cartoon Network agreed to let Antonucci keep control, they struck a deal. Ed, Ed, and Eddie was made by Antonucci's, a.k.a. Cartoon, and became the first Cartoon Network original not made by Hanna-Barbera. The show premiered January 4th in 1999 and was the last major animated series to use traditional cell animation before switching to digital in 2004. The show was a major success with both kids and adults becoming Cartoon Network's most popular show in 2005. It was originally supposed to end after its fourth season, but its popularity led to two more seasons and four specials, including a finale movie that aired in 2009, making it the longest-running Cartoon Network original. Dang. Yeah. What I love, too, about your reading of that is that uh, it shows that you don't ever read those summaries ahead of time because you were surprised <laughs> when we mentioned that there was a movie. It, it Yeah, no, I, I uh, sometimes I do, but today I, I did not, so I take full responsibility for that. Uh, Jaron, you you've watched the movie, right? Yeah, I have. It was it's it it was super surreal to go back to it and seeing how updated the animation was. It uh, it was the only one in HD, as far as I could tell when I was looking into it. But I'm what is the plot for? Because the the show is there's eleven minute segments. Uh, it's the boys doing a little scheme. More often than not, they fail, and even when they succeed, there's still a hint of failure in it. So how could they stretch that out to like? An hour and a half, I'm assuming. And Ed and Eddie, uh, big picture movie show or whatever it was called, is the pulp fiction of animated Cartoon Network movies. It begins in media res after a scam has gone horribly wrong, worse than it's ever gone before. And the Eds just look at each other and they're like, we have to leave the cul-de-sac. This is worse than it's ever been. So wow. it's it's a Thelma and Louise type story where they are on the run from the rest of the kids seeking revenge, going to find asylum with Eddie's older brother. Wow, this sounds rad. Uh, I now more than ever want to track down this movie. That sounds so cool. There's a lot of Fury Road inspiration, I think, that was taken <laughs> from that movie. <laughs> I love the idea that uh oh what's the the director George Harrison? No, no, not George Harrison. Uh, is it McG? That no. directed Mad Max? I can't remember. George Miller. George Miller. George Miller. George Miller. Yeah, um, we we got there. But I love the idea that George Miller uh hadn't made any Mad Max content in years and then in 2009 caught the Ed, Ed and Eddie movie and was like, that's it. I've cracked it. We're it's going to be on the road. We'd love to have him on the show to come and clear up these rumors. Well, he can't refute it, so I'm going to keep him off the show just so we can keep that uh, canon within my mm, mind. You're right. It's just better <laughs> that way. That's that's cool. You it, know, I have to say, what now? You know, now reading the uh, the, the history of the topic <laughs> as I did, uh, but watching the the episodes, I, I can totally see this coming from a guy who 
where making kids shows wasn't necessarily his specialty um because it, it is a show that just is a lot more ed g sorry uh, I um i quit uh, thank <laughs> you <laughs> um so i i that was that was definitely a vibe like I, it had been so long since i had seen it and just honestly like i i i don't know maybe I, if i woke up in a mood when i started watching them or whatever but just like the show felt really abrasive to me um and not necessarily pleasant it doesn't mean that it, it didn't have merit and there weren't like really funny moments and it wasn't clever and all that but like as i started watching i was just like yeah, I don't know. The, the word abrasive is the one that I really settle on. I don't know if either of you felt that way. I'm curious what it would be like. What was abrasive about it to you? I don't know. It was the I mean, let's just face it, like Ed, Ed and Eddie, mostly uh, Eddie, if I'm getting the, 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 the name right, is just a, a jerk. Like he's just he's not. He, I, as far as the episodes that I watched, now I'll just say that uh, I watched the first episode, and then I basically watched the first episode of every subsequent season. Um, so it was also interesting seeing how the animation improved from season to to season. But but Eddie, his voice for starters just rubbed me the wrong way the second I heard it again. Uh, and then just generally, he, he's not very redeemable, and all he really does care about is his selfish endeavors. Um, Double D, you know, he's he's hands the show some um, I, uh, altruistic qualities, if you want to call them that or whatever. But just the just the, the just the fact that I think the show sort of hinges on sort of taking advantage of unsuspecting other children or whatever. That there is something abrasive about that. And within that, though, I mean, they come up with a ton of really clever and funny plots. But that was just like my my gut instinct when I when I got through like at least the first episode. That's a very interesting point because when I was rewatching a very early season episode, I noticed how they hadn't quite settled into like the character voices yet. Mm. And it was really hitting my ear wrong to hear like similar but different sort of voices and the 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 very flat background coloring yeah. along with the the horns and the soundtrack. It, it did sort of make me feel like on edge a little bit just watching this. Like it was very in my face in a way that I don't remember a lot of cartoons being. Hmm. That's interesting. The The background thing to me really stood out too in that uh, the first episode especially. And, and normally people know when we do the show, we have specific episodes picked out. But for stuff like this, we sometimes just do kind of a free-for-all, uh, which is what we did here. So we didn't all watch exactly the same ones, but I know uh, we all watched at least one very early season episode. Uh, the first episode, in fact, and I was just kind of struck with the way, like the the look of it, because a lot of things would have like an outline, but then just be one, like the houses would have an outline, but then be one solid color, and that color would often like bleed out to the edges, and that was kind of everything except for the characters around them would have these lines that then had these block colors that weren't necessarily always adhered to. It was kind of rough around the edges in that way and building with kind of the other stuff you said like the voices they hadn't quite hit yet which i i always love that in watching early versions of stuff like go watch early simpsons and listen to homer's voice hmm. it's entirely different brooklyn 99 a show that i love the first few episodes gina rodriguez who plays uh rosa her voice is entirely different than how Rosa is later on in the series. So I'm always like amused by that. 
But yeah, all that stuff kind of coming together was a very different feel than stuff later on, which was, I don't want to say more traditional, but I, I guess kind of in a way like things, like the color didn't bleed over quite as much. There was differentiations in the backgrounds and the coloring and all that. It certainly was a show that evolved a lot in its styling over time. Hmm. While still kind of, while still keeping a lot of its sensibilities, I guess. This was a show that um, I felt like a ska kid again watching this <laughs> show. Uh, I I was big into ska in middle school and starting into high school, and there was something about watching this where like Eddie has a wallet chain, and uh, oh, d- yeah, double D for some reason, like wearing that hat all the time, nonstop. And there's just like the horns that like Jerome pointed out. It, uh, it just, for some reason I was like, yeah, where's my less than Jake? I got to go. I got to go. Uh, <laughs> got to go skank. Get me some Pez. I'm ready. Yeah. The obsession Co- with candy. Coincidentally, I am actually wearing a beanie right now. And I didn't even think about that. I guess I just wanted to channel double D while we recorded. He was the one that I identified most with on this watch. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would I it would be frustrating if like I sat down and was like crap I most identify with Eddie or even <laughs> Ed, you know, uh, they all have their charms I so to speak I was there, I watched an episode where, um, uh, what's his name Johnny the the one that that owns Plank or is friends with it's Plank Johnny um, is friends with Plank Johnny. yeah yeah Plank, <laughs> with, oh, Plank oh. is not an object he's, no, he's let clearly me, a, a person but real quick before you get into that I do want to I. Uh, say that I, I read that apparently some people wanted Plank to talk. They wanted Plank to like actually have face movements. But Danny Antonucci was like, no, it's just funnier if Plank is his own character, but is also just a piece of wood. Anyway, continue. No, 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 I agree. Um and and uh Johnny and Plank have a fight. <laughs> uh so Eddie's latest scheme was to find a new friend for Johnny. Um, which culminates in them basically using Eddie's room to throw a party, a friend party, and Johnny gets uh, anxious, and then all the other neighborhood co- kids show up, and I can't. Uh, the one that's friends with Ed's sister, Jimmy, 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 um, he he ended up with Plank at some point in the episode, and he comes and like, oh, here's a party. He basically tosses Plank aside, and then so like, Johnny's like overwhelmed by all these other plank replacements and then in the behind this in the background um johnny and plank kind of have a reconciliation while the rest of the party gets crazier but i was just struck by the fact that like eddie and this comes up i think in another episode two that i watched but like eddie seems like he's kind of stuck in the the like the disco air like he has a disco ball like uh he has a um, a um a record player um, which maybe was more <laughs> still more common back in the early 2000s or whatever. Um, but uh, it, the, the st- some of the stylistic choices of the kids uh, I did find a little funny, I guess is the point that I was trying to make. I would agree. I, I really remember when I think about Eddie, the the chain wallet, the like zebra carpeting, the the fuzzy dice would sometimes come up and it was just oh, such yeah. this like, I've inherited what's cool from like my parents sort of vibe that I got from him. He also, he always had this like line around his eyes that I didn't know if I should interpret that as he was using a tanning bed. Did anyone else notice (laughs) those? Like his, like the skin just around his eyes was always a lot lighter than like the rest of his skin. It was 
Just me? See, I vaguely remember them tanning in an episode, but I don't I remember if it was I kind of do, too, actually, now. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that, that, there was one thing, just talking about all this kind of stuff outside of, like, the 70s-ish feel, like, coming from the parents, which, also, I love that you never see the parents. They get mm-hmm. m- mentioned many times. I, I watched an episode where something uh, happened, or there was, like, anarchy. They, they decided, like, there's no rules. Do whatever you want. And things got crazy around the cul-de-sac. And then Double D comes out and is like, I called your parents. And everyone gets really pissed at him because he just he snitched <laughs> on their good time. Uh, but you never, never saw the parents. That was important. But I was thinking in one episode, when is this show supposed to take place? Which, welcome to overanalysis, which is what, why podcasting exists. Not that it is ever important as when this show takes place. But just looking at everything, I couldn't help get the feeling this is supposed to be like, the the eighties or nineties was just kind of the general feeling I got from the whole aesthetic. I mean, in my mind, it it's hard to separate it from the nineties, right? Um, maybe I I don't know if I would say that it takes place in the eighties. I, I didn't really hang out in cul-de-sacs in the eighties. <laughs> if I was like one or two, um, but uh, it, 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 I think the show just because it feels so nineties, and and for me, like the 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 height of of you know my cartoon watching i guess was in the the mid to late 90s uh, and early to 2000s and late now okay still now um <laughs> you know i i think it's pre it's 90s in my mind what about you see the, the show upon rewatching really invited a lot of comparison to charlie brown for me and like the peanuts gang in the way that you never see the parents and there's this sort of like horn presence throughout the show and thinking about like when does this take place i feel like it's very timeless like i feel like there was actually probably thought put into making it not dated because they could have easily slipped in some limp biscuit in there <laughs> and just been like no this is for sure the 90s I, I would love if there was some limp biscuit just randomly in the middle of an ed ed and Eddie episode there's no like walkman or uh like the telephones that aren't mounted on a wall or something. So it, it's very like, it's, it's framed in a way where I feel timeless about it. Yeah, no, for for sure. And it also paints this picture of, of that like world that we all remember as kids, right? The, like a, a bit of, you know, playing outside. Like you said, even, even for you, that there was an element in your own life that was reflected and you identified so much to it that you were like, all right, we're going to copy Ed and Nettie and then not <laughs> knowing what it meant to uh, do a scheme. You weren't ever trying to get nickels and to get uh, jawbreakers. It, it was so funny because this show really mythologized a lot of like common, common things. So I always grew up thinking jawbreakers were like these incredibly hard to get things because they never they never got them. They were always like aspiring to jawbreakers. And so we would go to the candy store and it's just like, there they are, very unimpressive and actually not fun at all to eat. No, not at all. <laughs> really, really not. And that's why I feel like there has to be a bit of ska influence just because Pez was so big in ska. But the jawbreakers in this show were ridiculous. They were the si- bigger than like them. And when they would eat them, they would it would be stuffed in their cheeks uh, bigger than their bodies, and just like drool be coming out of their mouth the entire time. But I guess that's what that's what that was the goal. That was the dream. They were always like chalky white. They looked like giant golf balls with like purple highlight in them. Not even appetizing, but like 
they were the thing to get. There was like one episode where they, I don't remember how they lost them, but somehow they, they did. And they, but they, 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 they were giant ones and they were like bouncing down the street and they were chasing after them. Like, that's going to be so gross. <laughs> get that's street candy now. That's street candy. I, th- I think it was a value proposition because look at how much you got for a nickel. <laughs> like, sure, you get you can get a candy bar for for a nickel or for ten cents, but that's going to be gone in just in in a mere moments. These jawbreakers would conceivably last you the rest of your life. That's true. It was a weird show that sort of made, and I don't know if it necessarily taught you well, but it did sort of teach you about financing and budget. <laughs> I, I suppose. You because know, I, I remember eating, you know, like penny candy and stuff. So, and also I just like, in my head, I'm like, oh, like inflation has not hit this cul-de-sac if they care more about getting a quarter. Like literally in one episode, I was like, I just want a quarter, you know, which in my mind, I'm like, that's not going to pay my bills. No, it's certainly there was one I was watching where they uh, had a, a case of soda that they were drinking, and the idea was they were all glass bottles. So they then turn around and trade those in for those ever valuable quarters or nickels. And I, I was thinking the whole time, how did you get the soda? Like, did you <laughs> did you purchase that? Because I had I I've got some news for you. You could have spent that money on what you wanted already. That was another thing that I tried to do from this show was to like refund bottles and cans for five cents. And then you spend like six hours doing it and you get 30 cents and you can't even buy a real life jawbreaker with that. And it was so disenfranchising. <laughs> this is why pollution is so rampant. So <laughs> the price of jawbreakers is too high. That's how we bring it down. Yeah. That inflation has really gotten out of control here. So Nick learned about finances from this show and, uh, and, and Jaron, you learned about disappointment from this show. <laughs> If I have one takeaway from the show, I'd say it's pageantry because they they would take cardboard and make beautiful things out of it and they would take garbage and make these complex machines. And I, that was always the core of it for me was like, if you have nothing, you can still be inventive to get what you want. And that's why I love to watch them like succeed until they fail. Yeah, they're you're right. You're absolutely right. Because one what, that I remembered vividly and I watched for this was they build a city out of cardboard and uh, invite all the, the cul-de-sac kids to come to it, which they do. And then, of course, it's it's part of their scheme. They do all these different way, things to get money. But it is a massive, sprawling metropolis full of cardboard people. And just the amount of time it would have taken to build all that. Again, realize it's a cartoon. Welcome to overanalyzing. But I can't think of anything that I was that devoted to as a child to to try and build an entire city. I wish I could have. I love the dream. I love the inventiveness of that. I think there's a lot of merit and a lot of fun to it. But man, was I not that highly motivated. <laughs> I, I will say, uh, if I may, that I also found... You may not. I'm sorry. Uh, no, go okay. ahead. Okay. Go on. No, go on. No, I no, mean, no, no, no. I not, now I want to hear it. Nick. No, Nick, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Come on. There was one episode that I watched that made me realize, like, in some cases, the show was actually really sad. Um, (laughs) Like, I got, I I got, I became sad watching this one episode where um, 
how does it start? It's uh, D double D is he's at home and he's basically like do or the or, or uh, Eddie and Ed show up uh, to pick him up so they can go do whatever. And Ed, Double D is like, I can't yet. I'm I'm fulfilling like my chores or whatever. And he's like super into it, like how like he's totally like he you know you need you should be fulfilling your parents' wishes and stuff like that. And there's just sticky notes all around the his house um with different tasks that he's supposed to complete and eddie and ed uh or mostly eddie get the scheme of um they they realize that they can mimic his mother's handwriting perfectly so they start leaving like other notes around the house and they get more and more ridiculous of course i forgot to write down some of the schemes they come up with some of them were awful but like it gets to the point where like double d can't help but fulfill these obligations no matter how ridiculous they are and he he makes a comment or something where it's just like this is how i talk with my family like you never see the parents this is how we communicate is through these sticky notes and to me that just struck me as incredibly sad um despite the zaniness that was around it double d has ocd obviously obviously yes I think all of this culminates in a quote from the first episode, which is, uh, I, I can't remember what, what they, what they did, but I think it was at the, um, it was, it was, they, they, they succeeded. They got job in that first episode, but it was, uh, someone else had to suffer for them to do. I think it was Johnny and they're kind of talking about it at the end, but then Eddie says, I think this encapsulates, encapsulates it all here. You know what they say? A little childhood trauma built character. Yeah. God. That was a dark line, but poignant. I think to your point, Nick, about Double D being sympathetic in that episode, I think my my hot take on Ed, Ed, and Eddie is that the three main characters are extremely sympathetic and they all have their moments to let you know how they are or why they are how the way they are. Because, uh, like you were saying, with the sort of neglect from Double D and Ed, whenever he talks about his dad, it's always like for fear of the dad being angry. And even Eddie, who earlier we were mentioning, is sort of like this conniving character. Like watching the movie, they they explicitly put a lot of effort into showing you why he is the way he is, why he feels like he has to get one up on everybody and having a lot to prove. I think is the reason why I sort of empathized with him the most. There, there is a, a a touch of darkness around the edge of this show in in the ways that we've talked about, and also uh, the Kanker sisters. We we watched the first episode with the Kanker sisters, which is the second short of the show, uh, and they are they they're uh, insane. They show up a lot throughout the show, but they get the Eds. And then uh, their clothes are dirty, so they put them in these bathrobes. And they say, like, oh, you're in our dad's bathrobes. And that, to me, the more I think about it, is, uh, is very dark in, in the sense that they are all sisters. Like, they are biological sisters, but they all have different fathers. Like, there's a... All different hair colors as well. Yeah. Just in different parts of this show... It doesn't ever go into it, but you can kind of just infer these little things here and there that, like, there is this touch of poverty in this world. There is a touch of neglect it for some of these characters. Uh, I think while as adults that's more stark to us, 
as kids, that's also like weirdly because we see as kids that the world is is not black and white. Uh, some of us live in bubbles for longer, but I think there's like kind of a relatability to in all of that. Uh, just the more that time goes on, because you just know like oh things like things aren't perfect, but I'm not old enough to process that and really know it, so it's just part of life. Absolutely, the the episode where they introduce the Canker Sisters. It's the this saddest, most complex game of house I've yes. ever seen, because they they are imitating what they've seen is like the 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 wife behavior. Like first they cook and uh, pamper the eds, and then they flip it on them, and they're like, "Now you do that for us." And it was just like this portrait of an unhealthy relationship that they were acting out for shits and giggles. Oh, pardon my French. <laughs> you're you're all good, but I do have to ask you to leave the show now. And uh, we won't be releasing this episode. <laughs> One strike rule. Yeah, we are very, very strict. <laughs> to keep it from going too dark on the Kanker Sisters, though, I do love whenever they had TV in Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and it would just be these like weird, bizarre little things. Like they were watching fish, but it wasn't like animated. It was cardboard puppets. Of like fish. they were doing a puppet show or something, yeah. Yeah, and they were, like, fascinated with it. I found that very amusing. Love it. Love the mixed media in my cartoons. Agreed. Uh, how about, so if we want to, you know, move a little bit away from the, the really sad existential elements of the show, which really, uh, as, like, Double D says, like, that sort of traumatic existentialism or whatever honestly i think is present in a lot of kids shows that ultimately stick with us i did not um, expect our conversation to go there by the way that was not an element no, of this show i expected us to uncover that i guess like in my mind thinking back on when i watched the show like a lot of this stuff didn't i mean you know i wasn't necessarily i guess i as a kid like i was playing house a little, quote unquote house a little bit or whatever but like I'm not really thinking of the deeper existential aspects of like some of the th commentary that these kids are making or the actions that they're taking. Right. So as an adult who's lived a little bit, at least like I, I actually found parts of the show harder to watch because of elements like this. Um, but in instead of getting sad, <laughs> um, but what did you guys think about some of the, the gags that were featured on the show? Because there was one, uh, <laughs> the, honestly, I did not laugh a ton while I was rewatching this. Uh, not that I didn't appreciate some of the gags that I thought was funny. Uh, apparently, I was taking the show too seriously, but there were definite moments that I that that really made me chuckle. And there was one uh, I don't remember the context around it, but um, Ed um, had some for some reason he like stuck his head down Double D's mouth. <laughs> so like the top part of his head is in double D's mouth. And he, all he says is, are you going to finish that cupcake double D indicating <laughs> that he can see the inside of his stomach <laughs> and that there's unprocessed food in there and he wants it, which I, I thought was amazing. Was there any of those that stuck out to you? I definitely remember in the, uh, the canker sister episode where Ed puts his head into the diver's helmet and Eddie just sort of walking by goes, huh. <laughs> nice head, Ed. Get it? It rhymes. Head, Ed. I cracked me up. Like that just sort of aside to himself. So confident and pleased with himself. Made me break. I was dying. 
There, there were a couple really great moments like that that I really enjoyed. I think there, a lot of it does revolve around Ed, because, you know, Ed's the dumb one, but he also is the funniest in that way, that he is the one that is in a cartoon more than the others are. Like, his physicality and the stuff, like, they all, you know, obviously this is all hyper-reality. Nobody gets hurt when they fall off roofs or, or you know, get slammed into walls and stuff but there's just something about ed himself that is so cartoony uh i was watching the the one where they're in the city and eddie and ed are on a rooftop and eddie is dropping yogurt on the ground but he's uh because because naz the popular girl is walking by and he's pretending to be a pigeon so he's making pigeon noises and he's dumping yogurt like it's the, a pigeon pooping because it's a kid's show and that's funny but Ed pulls out an anvil and on, and they're, they're on cardboard structures, mind you. And he goes to like throw it and Eddie goes, what are you doing? This isn't a cartoon. But it, That's awesome. but I, I love that in that sense that Ed lives in a, in a cartoon cause he pulls an anvil and things like that's like, there's another one where Ed was building a structure the entire time. It's kind of the background of the show. He's not a very prominent player in the episode, but he's building the structure up the whole time. And uh, it's Edco is the, the name of like the business that they're running. And it ends with their business failing, obviously. But they go up into the structure that Ed's built and they are touching the moon. They are like at, in, at the moon. And it just, I don't know if I, I didn't, I don't think I, I laughed a whole lot at that moment, but I really, really liked that buildup of that gag and just these three characters being on the moon and that Ed built this insane structure. So what I'm saying really is Ed is the MVP of the comedy in this show. <laughs> yeah, he always did a lot of the, the, the heavy lifting for gags and jokes, I remember. That there, was, heavy there was one where he uh, he has like an itch on the back of his head and his tongue, like you don't see him from the front so that he's like looking away from the camera and just like his tongue comes back and like kind of rubs the back of his head before going back into his mouth, which like horrified me but I also <laughs> there's there's a little bit of body horror at times this yeah a little bit of cronenberg influence in some of the later later seasons i would say well if, if you watch any of anatucci's stuff i mean he really was like the you know this is violent it's edgy uh but not in like that cheesy edgy way that so many people have tried to be edgy like he legitimately you know uh oh i can't remember the name of the the cartoon that he made that uh, uh, it's Lupo the Butcher. Lupo the Butcher is, is what it's called. Um, and it has like a cult following, but the image of it is a, a guy holding like a, a meat cleaver and it, there's blood dripping off of it. And he's got like blood on his hands and he's got this like this horrified look on his face. You know, this was a, a guy who uh, that was kind of his realm and, it bleeds over in kid-friendly ways in Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Wow, I'm looking at Lupo the Butcher now, and you are not kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you, you can kind of see in, like, the style, like, how that would lead to Ed, Ed, and Eddie, but it's still also a whole different world, like, removed. I want to talk about the theme song, just so I have an excuse to put the theme song, a clip of the theme song here in the show, because I walk around to this day whistling that song. Oh, 
I can't whistle anymore, but I, I used to. I would sit with my three friends and we would whistle the opening of the show together while we watched. Oh, that's that's adorable. It is catchy for sure. I'm sorry, what was that? I said it is catchy for sure. No, no, you didn't say for sure. For, for, for sure? For, you got Nick, me. Nick, Nick, Nick. You got me. Before we get to our final thoughts here, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the theme song just because I wanted an excuse to put it in the show. Is there anything else, either of you, uh, any thoughts that we haven't brought up yet that you want to discuss? Um, I, I would say that this is probably one of the very few shows where... And they did do later seasons and they expanded it, it it felt consistent. So I remember watching later seasons of Dexter's Lab and like similar cartoons and feeling like it had really lost the spirit. Mm. But when they show the Eds like at their school where a lot of the later season episodes took place, I I still love that just as much because it had the same energy of we are kids in sort of an institution, I guess, called the Sacker Middle School, and acting the way kids would. Hmm. That's that's a really good observation because I, I feel that I understand what you mean when you say that with stuff like Dexter's Lab and shows like uh, the Fairly Odd Parents. The Fairly Odd Parents ran for so long, and the longer that show went on, they you know you introduce new characters, new concepts, and it really like loses the thread. I think by the the end, and I don't even I'm pretty sure it's over by now, uh, but the end of Fairly Odd Parents, he is sharing the uh, the fairy godparents with another kid. And, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like that doesn't that doesn't bring new energy to the show. That just kind of twists the concept in a way that's not fun. Where at Adnetti, as it kept going on, like you said, kept the same spirit and energy. Nick, you got anything? Uh no, no. I, I mean, just in summation, like it, it. I, I guess I went on a little bit of a journey when I was watching them because, like, it started with you know being abrasive, and I, and I, I agree though, like. The even in the uh, season five, uh, I think right the last season, um, uh, or at least what was on HBO Max when I was watching it. I think it was maybe just the first five seasons. Then, um, like the animation quality improved, but the 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 concept of the show never really deviated. So I mean, props like it basically took the foundation that, despite maybe things that I didn't enjoy about it in the beginning, and it 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 just improved on those instead of, as you said, adding too much stuff. Um, but beyond that, yeah, the, the abrasiveness, sort of the cruelty in a way, and the existentialism were things that really stuck with me while I was rewatching it. Um, and, and yeah, I don't know. It's it, it was it was it's an interesting in terms of a lot of the um subjects that get brought to to this show uh i don't necessarily like adore every single one that comes in a lot of times i've enjoyed them and this was a really complex one where like there were moments that i enjoyed but i don't know how much of it in of itself that i enjoyed so it, it was very curious to me hmm. well we'll get to our final thoughts we'll find out if all three of us, or just one of us, or two of us, who knows, recommend that this is a show that's worth visiting now. But before we get to that, we have a brand new segment we're debuting on this episode. It is still without a title. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out what to call it as time goes on. But we put the word out on social media, on our Facebook and Twitter, and we asked people... What, to share their memories of Ed, Ed, and Eddie, what they remember, what the show meant to them, and we got a few responses here. So let's let's go ahead and read these out. Nick, you want to read that first one there? 
Absolutely. Uh, Casey Jerombeck uh, shared that I just love the absurdity of it. They had gumballs the size of a beach ball in their mouths, and Ed was so stupid. He reminds me of myself. <laughs> uh, it's such great, stupid comedy. Thanks, Casey. Yeah, Casey, I hope that you're not uh, banging your head as much as I saw Ed doing in some of these episodes into concrete flooring. Trey Jenkins also shared, I shout, I am the son of a sheep herder quite a lot. I'm not sure if it's a direct quote, but it definitely is inspired by the show. I don't, I didn't watch an episode where Rolf ever said that, but I have a, I, I also remember him doing that. So I think that you're right, Trey. Uh, and Rolf, Rolf is a very funny character. We didn't talk about him much, but I always enjoyed him quite a bit on the show. Sure. And uh, past guest and friend of the show, Travis Crawford, aka TV's Travis, shared the way Ed says butter toast. I actually don't know if I said that correct Not whatsoever. Excelsior. <laughs> 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 butter toast, like I'm uh, what's it, Tobias Fink from uh, uh, Arrested Development. Uh, and and how Eddie always calls him monobrow. To this day, I quote those. That show was a lot of fun. Monobrow. Uh, and last, we have Chris Brodnick. Now, we didn't have a lot of direct episodes we watched, but Chris provides some great recommendations here if people want to know what to go back and watch. He said, Ed pretending to be a monster has to be one of my favorite episodes of all time in the day the Ed stood still. We also never talked about that, that all the episodes have are puns with Ed in there. Uh, Ed hunting and chewing up chunky puffs to glue the kids of the coldy sack. Uh, cold, coldy sack. It's a coldy sack. Ed hunting and chewing up chunky puffs to glue the kids of the cul de sac to the wall of his room gets me every time. Also, the movie was probably one of the best ways for a kid's show to end on. Just so wholesome. Other moments that stick out are Ed sleepwalking and devouring the food of the cul de sac, Ed eating his mattress, the Ed's trying Eddie's brother's Armenian secret hot sauce, and the entire Once Upon an Ed episode. Ed is born, Little Ed Blue, and Sorry, Wrong Ed are all great episodes as well. So thank you, Chris, for doing the heavy lifting for us and shouting out some great episodes. Apparently Chris is a diehard fan of the show. So thanks. Thanks, everybody, for sharing your thoughts with us, your memories. We're going to be putting these sorts of things out now before we record. They won't always be just what's your memory about this thing. Uh, it it might have been if we'd done this for the Animorphs episode, what animal would you want to have turned into? And we want you to be part of it, so make sure that you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just find our Facebook page, Hit Me One More Time, and our Twitter is Hit Me One More Pod. Now, it is time for final judgment. Is this a show that is worth visiting today, or does it just stay in the Hall of Memory Jaron, since you are our guest, you brought the show here. What are your thoughts now having rewatched it? <sighs> well, I think for some of the reasons that we discussed, I would advise if you're going to rewatch, not a straight watch through. Maybe we can make a curated list somewhere of the ones that you really need to see because for the time you're investing into it, it's not a lot of laughs per minute. Mm. It's, it's There's a lot of morbid curiosity. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is strict entertainment value. Interesting. Nick? Yeah, I'm um, I'm torn between two points of view. One, like, as an adult, should you come back and revisit this? 
Uh, and then the other point is, would I let my, uh, as we often say on the show, hypothetical uh, but very real children uh, watch this show? And I'm, I in my mind, like I don't know how much I would recommend this to adults looking to revisit it. I suppose, like if if you were an adult that had zero experience with Ed, Ed and Eddie, I, I don't know if it would resonate with you. Um, at least I can't be sure for someone that maybe does have a past with it. Um, and, and, uh, Jaron had said the, it might be like within context, it might be worth revisiting, but almost in like a, a, a studious way. Um, but as far as like sharing it with my children, hypothetical, but very well, um, I, I, I'm torn. I'm, I'm really torn. There's a part of me that's like, I mean, I watched it and I presumably maybe possibly turned out okay all right at least kind of mediocre but whatever um so it probably not is it's not that big of a threat um but i but i yeah i'm not i'm not 100 percent sold i don't know i guess i have to think about it some more what do you think david well thanks for uh thanks for prepping for the show properly that's it's great that you had all your thoughts collected uh, no i think that i think that's fair because it's now after this conversation i too am a little bit like huh i'm there, there's parts of this we talked about i hadn't expected it was surprising to me to hear how popular this show was because watching it now and even like kind of back then, I always felt like it was very niche. Uh, they are obviously like the losers in in that 90s kind of way. So to hear that it was so popular, like I read a statistic that at one time it was thought that uh, 79% of all children between ages 6 and 11 knew who Ed, Ed, and Eddie are. Like, that's how popular the show was. It, uh, kids just loved this show. Um, obviously, it ran for a very, very long time. I really loved it when it was younger. But now uh, now that I'm 32 and I'm watching this show again, I think I'm, I'm falling where both of you are as well. I didn't hate the rewatch. I didn't think it was bad. I thought there was a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And when the show was funny, it was funny. But it's not something that I'm going to go and just put on now and watch all of um it could be a it could be a good background show i think you can just have it on and look up and catch whatever's happening at that moment you know you're not gonna really be missing the continuity too much and even with within the episodes you know there's a scheme happening they're trying to get money boom you're good to go if you haven't seen it in a long time watch a couple episodes if you're still curious and doing so feel it out decide for yourself but i i think ultimately yeah it's it's hitting me different now in a way that I don't dislike, but not in a way that's compelling me to continue on. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, like when, when, when I, when we started recording, like, or at least when I came, when I got ready, like, not that I was going to come on and like tear the show apart or anything like that, but like, I didn't necessarily enjoy what I was watching, but then like listening to you both talk about it and like reflecting on things that I just didn't really think about as I was watching it did give me a, a more of an appreciation for what it was trying to achieve. It doesn't necessarily change the feelings that I had just shared, but um, I can appreciate that like in many ways, a lot of thought actually went into the show. It's definitely not just mindlessly dumb, even if it's crazy, ridiculous and zany. Yeah. I think I remember a lot of stuff about the show that still sticks out to me is jokes I would make with friends about stuff from the show or quotes that we would say all the time. That's the stuff that for the longest 
has stuck with me. That, and in one episode where they think Kevin, uh, the kid with the red hat, is psychic. I don't know why I remember this episode so clearly, but there's a time where Ed goes up to him and is trying, is going to see if he can know what Ed's going to say, and he stops him before he speaks, and he says, sheepskin seat covers. For some reason, that phrase, sheepskin seat covers, is in my head for all time, and whenever anybody is like, guess what I'm thinking, the first thing that pops in my head is sheepskin seat covers. (laughs) So... I guess it has an influence on me. Listeners, we want to know what you think. Are we way off base? Should everyone be watching it? Or do you agree that, you know, it was great for its time, but now as an adult, we've kind of moved past it. Let us know. Hit me one more time.com slash contact. Find all the ways to reach out to us there. This is part of the show where we're now say farewell. And I want to thank you, Jaron, so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. This was really an enjoyable experience. Happy to hear it. Where can people find you should you want to be found? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jaron, J-E-R-O-N underscore do, D-O-O. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash daytime delusions. Check it out, everybody. Nick, thanks for being here. Thank you, David. Where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Nick Sheremuksnis, S-E-R-M-U-K-S-N-I-S. I'll have to say that every time. Uh, and on Instagram at Shazam underscore arts. There you go. Check it all out. These are great people. And when you're done with them, you can maybe throw an eye my way. That is Davluz, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. Listeners, thank you for being a part of the show. We do this show because of you, and we do this show for you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!